not necessarily, um, you don't have to go and volunteer all the time or something like that. You can really just connect with the Walk for Life and get involved in this. So, so go to the website, check it out. They're going to have a table out in the foyer, and um, Allison and Deanna are both uh, um, interacting with this, Walk for Life, and, and um, Allison works for the Life Network. And uh, we've got a few other people in the church that are inter in interacting and engaging with the Life Network, too. So, and there's others around town. I've been, I've been talking with a few other uh, groups of people right now. There's, there's a, actually a prayer walk area down south I did not know about. That is, it's like 20-something acres that they've cut paths through and all this kind of stuff down by Fountain. And it's a prayer walk thing. And, and um, I was talking to the people that... Uh, have set it up and all this stuff, but they get a lot of uh, flack from the state and the city. The city's tried to shut them down a few times and stuff like that. And uh, but we, we're, we're, I want to introduce that to you over the next few months and I mean the next few weeks and and let you see it because it's this, it's a it's an opportunity for us to connect and do things deeper into our community, which it should be our responsibility and our goal, right? I mean that that's what we're trying to accomplish. So th so really think about. Really think about this walk for life. I think it's, this is something that you can engage in um, and really accomplish some things. Um, I think we do have some pictures of our stuff in India. So this is our building in India. <clears throat> they have been painting on it. It's, it's basically finished. Uh, you can see they, they've left a scaffolding up. Um, that's what that is. I wouldn't get on that scaffolding, but that's their scaffolding. But um, I think we have another picture of, yeah. Uh, so the building is basically done. They've got the second story. Everything's finished. They've got the, the last thing they did was like the stairwell between the second and the, the top floor. They finished everything, and then they kind of cover that stairwell. And uh, they've just been finishing that up. And so the top floor of the building is where uh, the guys have church. The bottom floor is where they live. And when you go in, you, can, you don't have to go into the living quarters. You can go into the stairwell and go straight upstairs so it, you're not having to interact with their living quarters. But the, uh, but the, but we're, we're finally getting to a place where I feel like we're breaking down the walls and getting to where we need to be. They're having uh, three different home Bible studies right now in, in different villages, and these are at the request of the people. Uh, they go to these villages, and they have a Bible study with a couple, three, four, five families, depending on the village. And, uh, and, and again, one of these villages we didn't even know about until about a month ago, a month and a half ago. We didn't even know about this village. But some people showed up to the clinic, the medical clinic, and they, they give them all the information. They put on there this village, and our guys got to asking, went out to this village, and the very first week when they were out there, they asked them to do a, a um, home Bible study in that village. And uh, pretty excited about that. The guys are doing great uh, with all of this. Now they're actually starting to have people come to services, not just the clinic, they're actually having people coming to services there. Now, remember, this is, you, you would think, well, of course they, that's, that should happen. This is an area where there's no church, there's no Christianity in this area. These guys are the, are the voice crying out in the wilderness kind of thing. And uh, they're trying to start a church and trying to start ministry in, in, in a Muslim and Hindu area. And so, so continue to pray for them, continue to, to really... They need the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, to accomplish this stuff, but we're really excited about where, where they are with everything. So, um, and one other thing I did want to mention, Cinco de Mayo is coming up. You guys know what Cinco de Mayo is? And uh, most times when I ask people that, that don't have Hispanic background, say, what's Cinco de Mayo? It's 
taco time. You know, it's no, there's actually a reason for it. But what we're going to do, uh, if the 5th of May is a Wednesday, okay? Um, we are going to have, uh, we're going to start a little bit early that Wednesday night. We're going to start around 6.30, and uh, Sergio is going to make a bunch of street tacos for us all. Yes. He's going to make them here at the church. Um, I know, I've had his food. It's um, delicioso. So, see what I did there? Um, so we're going to do that now. Here's, here's the catch. We've been talking about this a lot. We actually talked about this in some of our business meeting. Um, with, we're, we're constantly trying to get our missions giving up uh, and, and to batch more of what we're sending out. We're sending out thousands and thousands of dollars a month in missions. We're not going to cut that stuff. We're not going to take them off. Um, but we're still way low in what we're giving in missions. So that night is going to be a missions night. Um, the tacos are going to cost money. That's how we're going to do this. $25 a taco. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I don't actually remember. I think it's a few bucks. I think, I think we're even doing it like donation. I can't remember exactly how, uh, what Sir John talked about. But a, a, a couple bucks for a taco or something like that. And, um, and then Sergio is going to speak that night too. And so it's uh, Cinco de Mayo all the way around. Uh, we're looking forward to it. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So do you think about that? Now, <clears throat> a couple of things going to like new stuff and stuff like that. A couple of things that, <clears throat> that, that popped up. I mean, a bunch of stuff pop up every week. And I just try to think, okay, what are some things that I think as a church we just need to kind of keep knowing and processing? A bunch of stuff about um, election uh, things have been coming up legally, all this other kind of stuff. Uh, we saw um, there was court cases this week that had bizarre endings and senators that came out and asked for people to attack if, they, if the verdict didn't go her way. I mean, there was a bunch of crazy stuff going on this week. But, but something about um, two things that I saw about COVID that I thought was pretty interesting that I think we should know. Um, Yale... Uh, an epidemiologist at Yale. He's been he's been tracking, um, he's been tracking vaccines. He's been tracking. Well, it's it's actually a whole study at Yale. It's not just a guy, but they've been tracking vaccines. They've been tracking um, the, the uh, COVID uh, tests, people with COVID, all these other things. And they said all of the uh, more than half of the new COVID patients that are popping up right now and testing in hospitals and things like that. More than half of these new COVID patients have already had both shots of the vaccine. So process that a little bit. More than half of the people that are getting COVID now already have the vaccine. Okay? Stanford did a study, <clears throat> and the study was about face masks. They were trying to process face masks and how effective they are and whatever the case is. And they said that face masks are ineffective to block transmissions of COVID-19. I think, I think some people kind of, I, I want to say most people already know that, but I don't know that most people do know that. I, I felt, I've known that from the beginning, these masks are not doing anything about COVID, okay? Uh, they may do something about somebody sneezing on you, but they're not doing anything about COVID. But here's the rest of the study that became alarming and they're doing more studies about this um, and trying to get uh, government studies done about this, that the face mask can actually cause health deterioration and premature death. Process that. This is, this is when I know it the most. I work out at Lifetime, and 
and I, I do, I, I bike, I do a lot of cardio, I do weights and stuff like that. But one of the, I, every single time I go in, I get on a stationary bike and I ride, and you're supposed to keep your mask on. I stopped doing that a long time ago. And they'll come by, sir, you need to put your mask on. And then they walk away. So um, I, I don't put my mask on because there's no possible way that that is healthy for you while you're, while you're doing that kind of exercise and you're trying to breathe. I get lightheaded, I have all kinds of stuff. Because why? I am not breathing oxygen, I'm breathing my own breath at a very high pace. You know, like I'm having a baby apparently. So I've been saying this from the beginning. I really believe that everything we're seeing right now is linked together. I don't think it's random. I think that all of this stuff is Satan is trying to mess with our country, trying to mess the whole world. He's doing this differently around the world. But trying to, to mess with us and to control us and get us into two basic things. Completely broke down and submitted to some kind of authoritarian control. And then also, um, in a worldwide sense, trying to unite everything together in the world, but united around fear and confusion. But unite. Now, that makes no sense, but, but that's what I'm seeing happen is the entire world. Why? Scripture, I believe this is a scriptural thing, Scripture tells us, that that's what happens in the last days, that the entire world is united in a, in a, in a sense of control and manipulation that sets up the uh, obvious uh, authority of the Antichrist. The, this is the first time that I have ever seen this kind of worldwide thing. Even, even World War I and World War II, it wasn't like this. It, this is a weird thing that we got going on. So... <clears throat> Continuing with what I've been talking about the last few months, this is, <clears throat> this is us taking responsibility for the kingdom of God. What does it mean for us to take responsibility? Guys, I, I love this uh, walk for life thing. because I, I know it's just one thing, and it's just one of the issues, but it, it, just get out and do something. Get out and do something. That's the way I look at it, is get out and do something. I, I, this was a small thing. It doesn't mean anything, except that I just... I just convinced myself, you, you just need to do something. Uh, Lynn and I were getting ready to go um, up in the mountains yesterday, and just we were going to ghost towns, um, go look at a ghost town. And we, when we did, it was, it was up in uh, Fair Play, but it was closed when we got there. So um, nice two-hour drive for nothing. <clears throat> but um, as we were going, I'm waiting on, we were taking our kids with us, we were waiting on them and doing this. And I looked, and my neighbor and, and a friend were across the street, and so I went over there, and I thought, at first I didn't want to go over there. And I thought, Scott, how difficult is it just to walk across the street? I'm having this conversation with myself in my garage, right? I can see them over there. Nice guys. I've met them before. And, um, and I, but I'm just I'm working on getting things ready. I just didn't want to. And I don't, I'm just processing this in my garage. I'm having a little argument with me. Scott, how hard is it just to walk over there and just talk to those guys? Well, yeah, but I'm putting my stuff in the Jeep and I'm getting ready. You know, but you got like an hour. Just walk over there. I, but, but, I mean, literally, I'm having this conversation with myself. Uh, you ever done that? And then so here's what you need to do. Say, just do it. it. It only helps everybody. Me, them, everybody. Just go have a conversation. In fact, I found out that, um, that, that my neighbor grew up as a preacher's kid. His dad was a pastor all his life. Didn't know that earlier. Linda said, did you ask him what church he goes to? I said, it wasn't that. We weren't there yet. 
but I will, right? I mean, you think about all these different things. How difficult it is just to, to say something to somebody, take some responsibility, to do a walk for life, to, to, um, so to even like our pregnancy centers, donate some money, do something, just little things here and there where we can make a little difference when somebody's life or, or pray for somebody or co-workers dealing with something. Just take the responsibility. Just do it. And, and even if you have to have that argument with yourself, take the responsibility. I can do this. I just need to, I need to just kind of get out of my shell a little bit and, and, and do this. I, I try strongly to interact with every single waiter or waitress in a, in a very uh, connecting, personal way when I'm talking to them because you never know when an opportunity will arise to witness to them. But if you don't ever engage them and they're just the, the voice that comes and talks to you and then goes away, um, you, you don't get that opportunity. When somebody, when somebody talks to you, this guy talked to me the other day at the, in, in while I was working out, not while I was working out, while I was in the locker room after working out. I'm, and it makes me uncomfortable because, you know, I don't have clothes on. And, and the, some guy starts talking to me. And, but, but I thought to myself, these are not random things. God doesn't do random. He doesn't do coincidence. Look for opportunities. And the guy just engaged me. Um, so, did you have a good workout? That's a great, you know, whatever. So I, I, at first, I, you know, and I, and I keep trying to get dressed or whatever. But I thought, wait a second. Stop and pay attention and take responsibility. Just talk to the guy. Just talk to him. You don't have to look directly at him. Just talk to him because he doesn't have any clothes on either. Just talk to the guy and engage him. It's not, not that funny. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. So, Matthew 28. I read this scripture a few weeks ago. Verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because you and I are supposed to be doing that. Engage people. Preach the gospel. Baptize people. This is one of the things we talk about when it comes to baptism. You guys know I don't baptize a lot of people around here. <clears throat> when we do our baptism. Right now we're still trying to get back over into the why to do our baptism like we've done the last three or four um, years in there. But it's, it's not easy. So we're trying to figure out some other things. But I don't do a lot of the baptizing. Because I'm not the one who witnessed to the person. I'm not their spiritual mentor. I'm not the one who, who, who began the conversations and began the prayer and all the other stuff. I, I strongly believe that the person that should baptize a new convert is the person that led them to the Lord. The, the, the person that's been praying for them. Maybe, maybe they, they came to church and, and did it in a passive sense. In other words, nobody directly said, um, person to person, do you need Jesus? They, they come to church and get saved, but there's somebody that was praying for them, inviting them, and doing all that other kind of stuff. You need to be the one baptizing. That's what, that's what I believe these scriptures are saying. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So going back to this, this mentality, to obey all the commands that I have given you. As that's part of our responsibility. We're taking responsibility for the kingdom of God. That's what we have to do. So I want, I want to show you a little video and this kind of sets up where I'm going with this. <clears throat> this. This guy on the video, his name is Sam Harris. And uh, Sam Harris is a noted atheist, uh, a very popular um, speaker. In fact, this was a TED Talk a few years back. 
that um, he was talking about. And this is the point of the, of the talk, okay? I'm just going to show you a little bit of it right in the middle. It's about a 25-minute talk. But his, his reason for, for giving this to all of these TED people, which are, which are very enlightened, extremely intelligent uh, liberals that know everything, and his talk was that morality does not come from God because there is no God. Morality comes from people processing the information and coming up with the right answers uh, of morality. And that if you will think, if you will look at science and you will look at uh, um, educated thinking, then you will come up with the, the correct answers for morality. He says, there is no, and you'll, you'll, this, this is part of the clip, there's not a God making these rules. There is no God. This is people making these rules. Which is interesting to me, because these rules have been written down for thousands of years by broken, corrupt, messed up, sinful people, but they came up with amazing godly, or not godly, according to them, moral rules. It's extremely flawed, and you'll see some great flaws just in what he's going to say. But the deal with Sam Harris is he hates religion, um, but he really hates Christianity. He hates all religion. There's places all through this speech where he talks about um, Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, he hates Christianity. Okay, let's look at the video. Perspective is that the only people who seem to generally agree with me and who think that there are right and wrong answers to moral questions are religious demagogues of one form or another. And of course, they think they have right answers to moral questions because they got these answers from a voice in a whirlwind. Okay, not because they made an intelligent analysis of the causes and condition of, of, of human and animal well-being. And in fact, the, the, the endurance of religion as a, as a lens through which most people view moral questions has separated most moral talk from real questions of human and animal suffering. This is why we spend our time talking about things like gay marriage and not about genocide or nuclear proliferation or poverty or any other hugely consequential issue. But the, the, the demagogues are right about one thing. We need a universal conception of human values. Now, now here, here's the interesting thing with this. He says, I, I love that he calls them demagogues, that's great, but he, he says we need a universal concept of morality. Okay, who decides that? Because in this little, just this little part right here, he made two major mistakes in my opinion. One is, he embraced homosexuality as a non-issue that the church has a problem with. So he decided, he decided that wasn't an issue. That wasn't a moral issue. He made that decision. So who, who, why does he get to make that decision? And then on the other side of it, he says, we worry about those things. He's talking about the church. We worry about those things, but <clears throat> we don't worry about genocide. You know what my first thought was? Probably your first thought too. We, we the Christians... Don't worry about genocide. We seem to be the only one worrying about genocide. We're murdering babies 
by the millions. But, but he gets to make the decisions of morality. And where has his decisions arrived from? Because he has higher enlightenment of science and thought. And so for him, it's okay to murder babies. Oh, and by the way, about, about 15 seconds after this, he makes another statement. And everybody in the place erupts in applause. And I wanted to be sitting there and just shout out, what about abortion? All you morally sound people that have come up with all of this deep thinking morality and push back at the church, but you think murdering babies is okay. See, here's, here's the, the, the big issue with all of this. I, I, I've got, I get people who, who process some of this and they'll ask things like, can, um, can uh, atheists make moral decisions? Yes, of course they can. Can atheists make um, uh, healthy, social, uh, moral type of decisions and live that kind of lifestyle? Yes, they can. But here's the, here's the conundrum that they are laboring on, but they don't even realize that they're doing it. All these atheists that jump up are almost always Western society people that have been raised in a society that was built on the Ten Commandments. And so the morality that they're talking about that doesn't exist in many places around the world right now, anywhere that didn't have a, a, a biblical worldview in some kind of context of government or establishment or anything, they, they're not having the same conversations they're not wondering whether people can arrive at moral conclusions by higher enlightenment of science thinking. They're trying to protect their valuables from marauding gangs that can come through and the government won't do anything about it. Because we're playing little games in Western society because we've so been sanitized and lied to by ourselves for so long that we don't realize that morality does not happen in a vacuum. Now, this is important for us as the church, as we say, okay, then, then Jesus said we got to preach the gospel and teach people what, the, the, what Jesus said, what the Bible tells us. And, and the importance for that, it goes way beyond just your family and uh, your local community or your church or something like that. It goes way bigger than that. If we establish God's law and God's morality in everywhere that we go, we have the opportunity to spiritually push light, uh, push the darkness away with light. And it establishes everything from the local family all the way to the, to the uh, federal government. If we will be who we're supposed to be, this is why I've been saying this, and I know it's a difficult thing, um, maybe, at least for me to embrace, maybe I think most of us to embrace, is the reason that our country is like it is right now is because the church has been failing we're not really living out Jesus. We're not really living out morality. We're playing church games. And, and we don't ever get there. I was thinking about this with this song that we sang the last one, 100 Billion Reasons, So Will I. I don't know the name of it, but you know what I'm talking about. I, um, the last time uh, Dr. Matthews and I went to India, we, we took a nice little journey through China on the way. 
that um, we, they kept, I don't know, it was horrible. We kept having to stop places and the government would mess with us and stuff like that. But either way, we're just getting on plane after plane doing all this kind of stuff. And I, and for probably 20 hours of traveling, flying, I listened to that song, just looped it over and over and over. And I'm just looping that and looping that. And I'm thinking to myself, God, all these things, if you can do this, if you can be the creator of everything. And, and I love like the mountains bow before you, so will I. If the rocks cry out, so will I. I, I, I love that mentality. Lord, I, I want to be who you want me to be. And I don't want I don't want to be caught short when it comes to worshiping you, praising you. I don't want to be caught up so much in my own life that I, I can't get to that point or whatever. But God, I, I, want, I want your word to be real in my life. I want your plans to be the guiding factor for my life. I, I don't want to do all the other stuff. The other stuff's available. Well, why waste your time? You get one shot at this life. Why waste your time being, being, being all about sin and stupidity and the flesh and the world and everything? Why waste it? This has always been my central thought when it comes to the scripture. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. I, I, when I see myself at that point, I know that there's billions of people that will bow down when God reveals his presence to us. I understand that. It's amazing. It's powerful. But here's the thing with me. I don't want that to be the first time I truly bow. I, w- I want to be practicing a lot now to where if there's a possibility, I want to hit my knees first. Out of 10 billion people, I want to hit my knees first. And I want God to notice. He's like, wow, Scott, you're pretty quick. Because I've been doing this my whole life. I'm, I'm, I'm well practiced at bowing and declaring that you're God. I want to be practiced at that. And, and we play games on this earth about Okay, I get to decide which one. You know, interestingly, too, this is just a side note, but we had, a, we had some people leave the church about a year ago because they did not like that song. Because it has, it has the, all the animals are, are evolving at your voice. They said, we don't believe in evolution. I said, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's, it's actually a direct attack against evolution if you, listen, if you really read it. And they left the church over this. And I'm thinking... This is the games you play? This, that's what morality means to you? That, that's really, that's your issue. That's where you, that's where you draw the line? The, the, the line in that song, that was enough. That broke the camel's back. You understand what I'm saying? I know I'm, I'm being sarcastic, a little flippant with this, but that stuff just drives me crazy. That we play all these stupid little games and there are souls in the balance. There are lives, our planets in the balance. That kind of thinking, that kind of mentality is why our country is like it is. We're playing stupid little games and our country is going down the sewer pipe, but we're playing stupid little games. Here's the, here, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Then God said, then God gave the people all these instructions. I want to preface this. I know I say this all the time, but if you read the Ten Commandments as a list of rules, you've missed it. The Ten Commandments are God's heartbeat to rescue us from ourself. He is trying to help us. 
He is trying to embrace us and pull us in close to him and help us with life. And, and it's amazing how easily we in the, in the world and, and also in Western thinking and then all the way into the church, how we get so upset when, there, when God puts a, 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 some kind of guideline or even a restriction upon us. We get so upset. And I think this is, again, this is why our country is the way it is. Who are you to tell me? I go by my own rules. I live my own life. He says, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make yourself an idol or any kind of an image or anything in the heaven or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. And this is right after he systematically tore down each god-deity mentality in Egypt. Systematically tore them down, obliterated any kind of concept of their power or anything, and he revealed that he is God over everything, and he, then he rescues them and pulls them out of slavery, which was the point of the whole thing, and as human beings, we immediately go back to those gods. I think the worst statement that ever comes up <clears throat> after they leave Egypt and, and, and this wasn't very long after they leave it, but we see it happening during the 40 years of, of wilderness too. They keep saying this statement, but we had garlic and leeks in Egypt. Think about that. Now, I, I get it at some level. There's nothing like onions cooking, right? But really, that's how... That's, God does everything, big pillar of fire, and they're worried about garlic and onions. Guys, we do this. We've been doing this for so long in the church. We play little games about little things. And then there's people like Sam Harris that are saying, oh, I can come up with morality on my own. Part of the reason he thinks that is because the church has been playing games. God says... I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. I do believe you can turn that around, but I also believe that is a real thing that still happens today. And we don't, we don't really process that too much in American society, Western society, because we take these kind of things. We're so individualistic, we take these things off the table. But you can take simple things and realize the power of this. Um, alcoholism. When you see alcoholism passed down, it's very easily passed down from generation to generation. Very easily. Um, abuse, very easily passed down from generation. And these are just, these are just um, isolated issues. What about the bigger spiritual issue of whether God is God or not? That way eclipses something like alcoholism. And we can hand that down. We can hand that down. This guy, Sam Harris, his brother is also, is also an atheist and is very vocal about it. I, I've wondered to myself, because I've seen many things with Sam Harris, and I've wondered to myself, what happened in that household? What happened? That both of these guys are so strongly, strongly anti-church, anti-Christian. Now, now, I'll tell you, I'm very anti-religion. I think religion is the most destructive thing that's ever existed. I believe that. 
where the crusades come from. That's where all that kind of stuff comes from religion. And guys, that, that wasn't Christians doing that stuff. Christians don't, don't uh, kill people by the masses. If they are, they're not Christians. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's an impossibility for the two to coexist. So, so just because we see things that are considered the church does not mean those were the people of God. Those were religious people. We see that at different times in all kinds of different faiths where people can just desecrate other humans and their existence and their lives. And, but that's not God. Okay? Verse 7 of verse 6, But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You realize verse 6 is, is one of the main focuses, I believe, of the Ten Commandments. It's not the rules. It's the fact that God is trying to bless us, protect us, and do that through correcting us. But he wants to cover us. He wants to lavish things on us for, for a thousand generations. Just do what he says. He's almost begging us. Just do what I say. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Walking in his authority, that's much bigger than just a word, right? You understand that's an authority thing, that's a representation thing. When we represent God to the community, we better be doing it the right way. Remember to observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land your God has given you. I, I don't know if you noticed, but these are pretty horrible things that are being forced upon people across the world. Honor your father and mother. How dare you, God? Think about, think about what we're saying. You must not murder. Oh, God, you are so close-minded. Right? It, th this is what I've never understood about atheists that are saying, first, God's not there. Second, his laws are, are wrong. They're goofy and they're all messed up. We'll come up with our own. Yeah, because God's laws are horrible, right? Except that you come up with the same conclusion, supposedly. I've always been entertained by people that say there's no God, but come up with the rule, don't murder. How do people that don't believe that there's a God, and specifically, most of these people are the same, although not always, but most of those people also believe in evolution. In other words, you used to be a fish that ate other fish. Right? You were a fish that ate other fish. But then someday, you realized eating other fish was bad. When did you come that clear? Oh, well, we didn't come until we, came, until we became monkeys. Okay, so monkeys kill each other. When did you decide killing each other was not a good idea? Guys, human beings do not arrive at that conclusion. They never arrive at that conclusion on their own Thinking. There has to be. There are, still, there are still peoples in South America that eat other peoples. That still exists. Why? One simple answer. They've never experienced 
the morality of Jesus Christ. That's the reason. And, and the reason that these atheists can come up with great moral codes is because it was given to them 6,000 years ago. That's why they can come up with these moral codes. The very first people ever, Cain and Abel, decided that murder was going to be okay. Well, you know, one of them didn't. But you understand what I'm saying? Guys, morality, the concept of morality, it has to come from a moral code somewhere that is outside of humanity because we don't have the ability to do this. You must not commit adultery. Yesterday, we were headed up the mountains. I mentioned this. My kids are in the car. And Linda looked over at me and she said, I am not exaggerating this. I'm not changing this. She's not here this morning. She's on the way to Utah to do um, our district council stuff. She looked over at me and she said, I just want you to know that today I'm going to cheat. I, my son said, what'd you say? And I said, what are you saying, Linda? She said, I have been tired I've lost a lot of weight, and I've been tired of no carbs, and today I'm going to eat carbs. I was like, whew. <laughs> Verse 15, you must not steal. Man, God is a jerk sometimes, isn't he? Taking away all our fun. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Isaiah, Isaiah 64, verse 6. We are infected and impure with sin. That's where we start this conversation. We are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. You think you can get to a point where you're so enlightened that, that, that you know everything? Man, that scares me. Because I have, I have approached that a few different times. Okay, so just for a second, process this along with me. It, it may be a little challenging because it's not your, it's not your uh, context. But every single week, for the most part, I get up here and I speak, and I speak about... God's word and what he's trying to tell us to do. I speak against sin, all this kind of stuff. Do you know how easy it is for somebody like me to get to a point where they think that they are above everybody else? That, that I am holier than you because I'm the one doing the talking and the speaking and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And that's how easy it is to start to get your own mentalities involved. I, I remember, I, I've talked about some of this before, but it's just amazing to me. I remember my mom talking about how they, they weren't allowed to roller skate. They weren't allowed to go to high school football games when they were kids because those were sinful things. It's amazing how, how we do that stuff in the church. I remember I was on a Sunday morning, my pastor and I, we were, it was before church. I was a youth pastor. And, and um, I was in his office, and he was, we were talking about some things for the morning, and he reached over and put on his tie, started to put on his tie, and... Um, and I had, I had a tie, a suit on, and, and I said something about the tie. You know, I like your tie or something. I don't know. And he said, he said, well, you know, this used to be a sin, but God changed his mind. I said, what? He said, wearing ties used to be a sin. Now, he was already in his 80s, and I was early 20s. 
Um, I, I didn't know that. But back in the day, specifically if you're from the Puritans or the holiness groups or anything, you didn't be all flashy and, and narcissistic and humanistic by wearing a tie. You just wore a button shirt all the way up. I didn't know that. But he, but he said, man, it used to be strong. It's amazing. It's, okay, so it's amazing how we do this kind of stuff. We have all this righteousness that we bring to the table because we think we're it. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. That's a, that's a scary scripture. And by the way, that's not just Old Testament. That is reiterated in the New Testament. Okay? In fact, one of the biggest sins that's, that's associated with being turned away by God turning you over to your own thinking is uh, homosexuality. Because we get to a point where we are so um, against the way God designed us and created us that that's the direction that we go. We're so against this image of God. We so hate what God did by making us. Which is the same thing suicide does, right? You know, that Suicide's tragic in one sense. I mean, it's a lot of sense, but one sense just because you don't recognize the amazingness of what God made about you. That's why when I watch movies with car chases in them, and they've got some beautiful car, whatever. I know the car that actually gets wrecked in the scene is not the original, but it's. But sometimes they're close. That hurts me. I could use that car, and they're just wrecking it. That's the way I think about our lives when we do stuff that, that, that is harmful to the way God designed us. God created you as an amazing, beautiful thing. Don't use it for things that are not amazing and beautiful. Don't let, God, don't let uh, the world convince you that how God made you is not important. You're a special creation, created in the image of God. And every single one of these babies that are... That are conceived the same way. They're beautiful creations created in the image of God. I had, I think actually, Caleb, is there a, is there a picture of a girl in there? Back like two Wednesdays ago or something? No? I was going to show you a picture of my granddaughter. <laughs> I was going to show it a couple weeks ago and I didn't. But I, every time I, every morning, every single morning they call us on the way to her school. And we can't see Bubby because he's in a car seat facing the other way, but we see her. We talk to her every single day. And I think, why would anybody ever want to destroy that? Well, because we've come up with our own morality. We've come up with our own rules. We know what's right and wrong. We don't let Jesus tell us what's right and wrong. That's just some kind of mythical, spiritual figure in the past. We don't let God tell us what's wrong or right because those are just rules created by man. There's no, there's no God, as the way Sam Harris said, that they, they got this in, the, in a whirlwind. John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Now, here is the tricky thing about these couple of sentences here. Look at what he says. The Holy Spirit 
who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. When people come up with their morality and it's legitimate morality, not their messed up morality, but when they come up with real truth, it's because the Holy Spirit gave that to first to us as a foundation and then is, and is and giving it to them as an individual. But it says right here, they won't even recognize it's the Holy Spirit doing it. They'll think they're doing it themselves. They'll think they're coming up with this stuff themselves. Let me give you a, a broader view, just a process. I've been saying this for a year and a half now. I believe this whole COVID thing is, is, a, is a ruse that Satan is playing on us. The pandemic, not COVID. COVID's real. But, but you still, you know, you still know that, that not even a small percentage of the amounts of deaths of COVID are actual deaths of COVID. This is a ruse that's being played upon us. And here's the thing, is when we spend our time and energy trying to come up with our own guidelines and our own rules and our own humanistic narcissism tells us, our own arrogance tells us that we can come up with these rules without going to the Word of God, you buy into whatever you're handed. When you're not really getting in the Word of God and saying, God, what are you saying to me? You're not really listening to the Holy Spirit and you're not trying to get what God is trying to You'll buy anything that is handed to you. And that's what's going on in our society today. We're, we're just taking it in. And that's why you've got major parts of the church that are, that are em, uh, embracing a lot of this stuff. Because why? They've come up with their own rules. They're not relying on what God's Word is saying. They're not standing strong with what God's Word is saying. They're coming up with their own rules. As there has to be a point where we get away from that. Where we, okay, God, your word is the one. He says, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be 